0: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18+ plus terms and conditions apply. This is true crime, psychology, and personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Mark Putnam? Mark Putnam was born in Coventry, Connecticut, on July 4, 1959. He was the oldest of three children. His father was a truck driver for Sears, and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. When Mark was young, He was described as introverted and private. However, when he was playing sports, he was highly competitive and aggressive. It was almost like he was two different people. When he was in college, he told his soccer coach that he dreamed of being an FBI agent. After studying criminology at the University of Tampa, Mark attended the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, and graduated in October of 1986. He already had a clerical position with the FBI, but this allowed him to become what they referred to as a special agent. In the FBI, everybody's special. There are no regular agents. This really doesn't make a lot of sense. How can they all be special? It's like they really don't know what the word special means. Mark married a woman named Kathy around the same time. She was the daughter of a wealthy real estate developer. In 1987, Mark was assigned to the Pikeville, Kentucky office of the FBI. This was a small two-man office located in a courthouse. By the time the Putnam family moved to Pikeville, Kathy was pregnant with her second child. She did not like Kentucky and wanted Mark to get transferred. Mark decided to be as productive as he could in order to get a promotion and a transfer. Mark had good success as a special agent, making a number of arrests. He started targeting a well-known bank robber named Carl Edwards Lockhart who had recently been released from prison. Mark suspected that Lockhart had successfully reintegrated into his bank-robbing career. This brings me to the background of Susan Daniel Smith. Susan was born in West Virginia in 1961, but was raised in Freeburn, Kentucky. Her father was unemployed, and her mother was a housekeeper. She was the descendant of two notorious families that had a feud in West Virginia and Kentucky, the Hatfields, and the McCoys. On her father's side, she was connected to the Hatfields, and on her mother's side, the McCoys. Susan dropped out of school in the seventh grade. She met a 22-year-old drug dealer named Kenneth Smith when she was 15 years old. The pair would marry and sometime later have two children. They were divorced in the mid-1980s, but continued to live together with their children. Carl Lockhart, the bank robber, rented a room from Susan and Kenneth. In 1987, Mark Putnam was advised by a local sheriff to contact Kenneth so that Kenneth could function as an informant. Mark spoke to Kenneth's parole officer who told him he was unreliable. Mark then approached Susan Daniel Smith. She agreed to be an informant partially because she had a drug habit and desperately needed money to maintain it. So the FBI was going to pay Susan to promote her own drug habit In order to catch another criminal. That must be the special logic of special agents. Susan would provide a great deal of information to Mark, including that she found a duffel bag belonging to Lockhart that contained ski masks and two sawed-off shotguns. With Susan's help, Mark was able to gather enough evidence against Carl Lockhart for an arrest. Lockhart was arrested in December of 1987. The next year, he was sentenced to 57 years in prison. The FBI paid Susan $5,000 for her assistance, but she actually stayed on the FBI's payroll for about a year after the case was over. Mark Putnam and Susan Smith initiated a sexual relationship sometime in 1988. They would routinely meet in motels and have sex, although Mark would later claim that they only had sex in his vehicle. He said they had sex five times over a two-week period, and that was the end of the relationship. Mark grew concerned that this affair could damage his career with the FBI and lead to the end of his marriage. In early 1989, he asked the FBI for a transfer to Miami, Florida, saying that he and his family had received bomb threats. The transfer was approved. The Putnam family moved to Florida. Toward the middle of 1989, Mark traveled to Kentucky on two occasions to finish work on a car theft case. During the second visit, He agreed to meet with Susan. On June 8, 1989, Mark and Susan were in a rental car driving to a rural area called Peter Creek Mountain. According to Mark, Susan told him that she was pregnant, he was the father, and she threatened to tell his wife. He attempted to negotiate with Susan, telling her that pending the results of a paternity test, he and his wife would adopt a baby. Susan was not happy with this proposal. She flew into a rage and attacked Mark. Mark strangled Susan with his bare hands. He claimed that he tried to resuscitate her unsuccessfully. Mark put Susan's body in the trunk of his vehicle. The next day, he dumped her naked body in a ravine near an old coal mine about nine miles north of Pikeville, Kentucky. He then returned to his family in Florida. Susan's sister reported Susan missing three days later. Over the course of an investigation that took about a year, Mark Putnam became the primary suspect, but other than the fact that he knew the victim, and they had once checked into a hotel at the same time, the authorities had no evidence indicating Mark was guilty. Even though they were in the hotel at the same time, they were in different rooms, and no one saw them together. The authorities did have some hearsay, but that's not evidence they could use in court. Investigators questioned Mark, and ostensibly he failed a polygraph, but polygraph results, of course, are worthless. The case was at a standstill. Out of nowhere, Mark Putnam's lawyer contacted the prosecutor saying that Mark wanted to confess to murder and go to prison. Mark confessed to the authorities and led them to the location of Susan's body. The authorities were stunned by Mark's confession. They couldn't believe that somebody would admit to murder the government had essentially no evidence. On June 20, 1990, Mark Putnam pleaded guilty to one count of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison. He was a model prisoner. He volunteered in the chapel and in the commissary and took classes on how to repair heating and cooling systems. He was denied parole a couple of times, but in 2000, he was released after serving only 10 years. He was 41 years old. His wife Kathy died in 1998 of an apparent heart attack, partially due to her excessive consumption of alcohol. She had stood by him when he was in prison. Mark Putnam moved to Georgia, remarried, and worked as a personal trainer. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all... ...is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick ...and me. Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomena slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Now moving to my analysis. Prior to committing homicide, Mark Putnam lived a life according to the rules. He went out of his way not to get in trouble. He had a dream of being in the FBI and managed to achieve his goal. His desire to be successful was pronounced, and by all accounts, he was productive. For whatever reason, he became involved with Susan Daniel Smith. She didn't really seem to be a good match for his personality. They didn't appear to have any type of genuine romantic connection outside of sex. After getting involved with Susan, Mark realized that her erratic and often drug-fueled behavior could cause trouble for him. Susan engaged in a variety of behavior which indicated mood instability and an obsession with Mark. A few examples. She would frequently go to the courthouse where the FBI office was located to look for Mark. She cut her hair short to match Kathy Putnam's hair She called Mark on the phone incessantly. One time she flashed her breasts at a courthouse security guard when she was looking for Mark, and she bought Mark expensive running shoes for Christmas. It's usually considered a bad idea for FBI agents to have expensive items, like it's not a good look for someone representing the government as an investigator. Susan was trying to coerce Mark into being with her, but he regretted his decision to have sex with her And tried to create distance. When he had to return to Kentucky to finish up that case, Susan was right there, demanding to meet with him, calling him constantly. He couldn't do anything to get away from her or calm her down. According to Mark, when he was in the car with her on June 8, 1989, she attacked him and he strangled her, but he did not intend to kill her. There's no way to know what really happened, of course, but I think it's reasonable to believe that Mark was telling the truth. The reason I believe him is because of what happened after this with the plea agreement. Some people look at this case and think that Mark was cornered by the polygraph results. The authorities were closing in on him. He had no choice but to confess. In reality, he knew the polygraph didn't mean anything, and he knew the authorities had just about no evidence against him. Mark Putnam retained an attorney who advised him not to say anything. The government had no case. Mark could just go home and forget about it. It was Mark who pushed his attorney to contact the government, so a plea deal could be negotiated. Mark wanted to plead guilty and accepted that he would have to go to prison. Under an arrangement with the prosecutors, Mark was allowed to negotiate without the fear of those negotiations being used against him. The government agreed to this arrangement. At any time prior to Mark actually pleading guilty, he could have walked away the case would have been over. After several weeks of negotiating, they came to an arrangement for manslaughter and 16 years in federal prison, instead of Mark having to serve the time in state prison. Moving to the next question, was justice served in this case? People convicted of manslaughter often serve less time than Mark did, although one could argue that he would have been facing more serious charges if the government could have built a case against him, perhaps something like second- degree murder. If Mark was telling the truth, the manslaughter was the right charge. Susan attacked him viciously and repeatedly, and he used too much force in response. He didn't plan on killing her. Mark certainly has shown a lot of remorse. He was a model prisoner. There's no indication that he's going to go on to commit more crimes. I think the part that's worrisome is that we really don't know the truth. There's no way to hear Susan's side of the story. If Mark is telling the truth, then his sentence was fair. If he is not telling the truth, then the sentence was too lenient. Often we hear law enforcement say that killers should just step up and take responsibility. They talk about how killers who pretend they didn't really do it only add to the suffering they caused. They should do the decent thing, the right thing, face the consequences. Mark Putnam is a killer who accepted responsibility. It seems reasonable that he would have a sentence less severe than someone who did not. There are three other points of interest in this case that I want to cover. First item, why did Mark's wife Kathy stay loyal to him? Usually when people hear about affairs, they think the person's primary relationship must be a disaster. That's often true, but I don't know if it was in this case. Mark and Kathy seem to get along pretty well. In addition, Mark killed the person with whom he had an affair. At some level, someone in Kathy's position may be satisfied with that result. Rarely would somebody admit that, but down deep inside, maybe it kind of felt good to her that Susan was out of the picture. She probably was not a member of the Susan Smith fan club because of the whole affair part. I could just picture someone in this situation being interviewed by a reporter about how sad they are that their husband's affair partner was murdered. They would respond by saying something like, yeah, I'm really broken up about it it would be difficult to be convincing under those circumstances. Second item, Mark Putnam wanted to be a well-known FBI agent. It appears he was successful in that regard. He is the only special agent who's ever been convicted of homicide. He's an extra special agent. I suppose it's only fair to say that he solved a murder that otherwise would not have been solved. It was the one he committed, but still, he did solve the crime. Third item, Sometimes people are interested in law enforcement careers because they are excitement-seeking. This tendency has a downside. It can be difficult to resist excitement that can get a person in trouble. I think what might have happened here is that both Mark and Susan were excited by the circumstances. The idea of catching a bank robber, the intrigue, the secret communication. They probably felt as though they were in some type of true crime drama movie, and bonded through this experience. Now moving to my final thoughts, killers are sometimes unable to escape the evidence, but often they are fully able to escape a sense of guilt. Rarely a killer comes along who has no connection to the crime as far as evidence, but they are unable to extricate themselves from feelings of guilt and shame. Mark Putnam apparently believed that only a criminal conviction would satisfy his conscience he was not a big fan of the prison idea. He negotiated a deal to get as little prison time as possible. There's something that just doesn't make sense about his behavior, something incongruent. It's almost like he really was worried that someday Susan's body would be found and he would be facing a more serious charge. But only Mark knows the truth. Mark used the justice system in an effort to obtain absolution and possibly to grant him an insurance policy Preventing a future conviction. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.